Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. We're going to screw up. That's a fact. I screw up all the time, but God forgives us, thankfully. In these moments when we, when, when we screw up, whenever we, we uh, have misfortune, how we respond to these moments is what we have our faith in. How we respond to this, if it's to, oh, I can figure it out, I can do it myself. Your faith is in yourself. In those moments, if you turn to God, pray, beg for forgiveness, your faith is in him. So walking through verse 16 here, right off the bat, it says, don't lose heart. All right, good. During these tough times, don't lose heart. In that suffering, don't, not losing heart's tough. In that suffering, all you want to do is just lose heart and have a pity party. When we feel down, when we're in the valleys, we tend to focus on how alone we may be. Or that you're the only one going through this or you're the only one that's ever experienced this. But during that valley, don't think for a second that you're alone. During that valley, God is still with us. Then walking through 16 again, it says we're wasting away. Great. Isn't that joyful? We're wasting away. Our physical bodies don't last forever. We're made to last forever. Our bodies are meant to break down over time. That's the reality of life. We're physically going to break down. And in our suffering, our physical decay, what happened? Our shoulders start to hurt. Our elbows start to hurt. Our hips going bad. We got a bad knee. Our eyesight's not as good. We need thicker glasses. We're not hearing as good. Greg, did you hear me? We might even lose our hair. And some of us, younger than others, Erty, if you're watching, um, our bodies will decay. The acceptance of growing old is tough, but there's good news. There's good news, church, I promise. So even though, if you're looking at the verses, even though our physical bodies are breaking down over time, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So every morning when we wake up, our inner self is being renewed every single day. Every single day we wake up with new mercies and new grace, and we don't even deserve them. So it's easy to think about that, right? Oh, physically, I'm decaying, but oh, I'll get new mercies every day. The hardest thing to do during these tough times is sometimes to believe the words that you know to be true. You try to talk yourself into believing those words, but sometimes you don't. So in verse 17, it tells us, this light momentary affliction preparing us for eternal way to glory goes beyond all comparison. So the rough patches we're going to go through in life are just trials. They're momentary. They're not forever. In the time, they may think that they're forever. You may think that's all that's going to happen. But they'll go away. So to be able to grow, we first must be torn down. So think about how muscles grow. Think about how you lift these weights and your muscles get sore and tired. And that's the, that's the fibers in the muscle breaking down over time so that whenever you're replenished with the nutrients, your muscles will grow. 
It's the same, it's the same in life. We're going to face hardships. We're going to face tough times. We're going to face trials. And those are just things God is using to build us up. If life was all sun, sunshine and daisies, we wouldn't grow. We would be constant. And we'd, we would just strive for mediocrity. To be able to grow through the suffering, we have to be broken down. And so, so more people are going to suffer than others. That's just how life goes. But our suffering's not forever. It's going to seem like it in the time. But in reality, our suffering is a vapor in our life. We don't have a lot of time on this earth. 70, 90 years? That's not that long. We have so much more to live for than just, just think about our suffering. Dark times and dark places come into our lives. That's a fact. It's going to happen. Um, I've been in a very dark place in my life before. And uh, maybe, maybe less than 10 people have ever heard this story. But as I was kind of going through getting ready for this, I thought, you know, this is a perfect time to share. And so in, I think it was January, February of 2018... And this was the, my last semester of my undergrad at Western. So I was kind of at a jumping point in life. I was leaving college and everything was going to go perfect. And so whenever you think everything's going to go perfect, that's usually when uh, something goes wrong. Well, unless in my life sometimes. Uh, but I had just gotten back from overseas. I was over in East Asia um, doing some mission work. And I got to skip the first week of class, which was nice. And so I skipped the first week of class. I was over in Asia, and then I got back in the States. And so I'm, I'm sitting there at my computer, and I'm looking at all my, my course schedules for the semester, seeing how much stuff I got to do. And so I see all the due dates starting to pile up. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I think I'm taking too many classes, but I was, I was determined to finish uh, finish school on time, and I, I just crammed everything into one semester. And so I see everything I have to do for school. I see all the due dates, and then I'm, I'm in ministry at the time, and I see all the stuff I have to do there, and life collides. It was, it, it, it was like the perfect storm for something to go wrong. And so at that time, my heart started beating really, really fast. My palms got sweaty. My legs got bouncy. I thought I was having a heart attack. That was probably one of the first, I probably had more than one, I just didn't know what it was. I had a panic attack. I couldn't breathe. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just sitting there, had no idea what was happening. And so once it subsided, I was like, that was kind of weird. But that wasn't the end of it. Over the next couple days, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. Not eating is big for me because if you know me, I don't, I don't miss a meal, obviously. So not eating was huge for me. I wasn't sleeping. I had no joy. I had no desire to do anything. I was lost. Think about looking at a candle or think about a lamp. When you turn it on, you got, you got your light, right? Bless you. And, bless you. And I, I, it's like I had the lamp on. And when I had that panic, attack, that panic attack, someone turned the light off. 
There's nothing inside. I've never felt more numb in my life. And so over the next couple of days and weeks, kind of realized that I was falling, in, falling into a little, of a, a little bit of a pit of um, depression. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And if you've experienced it, you kind of know what I'm talking about. And so over the next few days, um, it got really, really, really dark. And probably the second week of it, uh, I was in the mental state of when I, when I laid my head down to go to bed or try to sleep, I said, you know what? You know what would be just perfect if I didn't wake up? Simple as that. I did not want to hurt myself. I, I'll promise you that. But I said, you know what the best thing for JJ would be right now is just to die. And in that time, I felt so, so dark. Felt so lost. I had no idea what was happening. And, I, and, it, and it went so far as that in my room, um, I have this big uh, gun cabinet that my granddad gave me. I got all my shotgun stuff in there. And it just has a key to it. And so one morning, I was just looking at the key, and I said, I got to get rid of this. So I went and gave it to my folks, and I said, I don't know... I don't know where you want, don't tell me where you put this. Don't tell me what you're going to do with it. Because I felt, I was so scared, I said, I don't want to have the opportunity to touch one of those guns. And so at that time, we realized just how bad it was. And so I went and sought counseling. And I don't know if anyone's ever been to counseling or if why there might be like a stigma within the Christian faith of seeing a counselor is bad. But let me promise you one thing. If you need help, seeing a counselor can save a life because it saved mine. And so I saw this counselor, and I, I met this guy. He was probably three foot six, real tiny guy. And, and I met him. I go in, I sit on his couch, and he didn't say anything, and I just bore my soul to him. He just sat down, and I started blabbing about everything about who I am and what I do. And over the next couple of weeks, just having someone to talk to, it was so helpful. And so it didn't get better over the next couple of days. It didn't get better over the next couple of weeks. It took four or five solid months of, uh, I had a, I kind of threw my whole schedule away and made it regiment. So I never had downtime. So downtime for me was bad because I'm an overthinker already. And so I would just sit there and think about all the bad things that are going on in my life. And I would just look at one thing and I would just look at it and dissect it and see what's wrong with me. So I kept myself busy. I started reading a lot. I, threw, I flew through the New Testament multiple times. Sought counseling went on runs. I hate, I hate running because I have bad knees, but if I would feel myself getting anxious, I would just put my headphones on and take off and just run until I would get a side stitch. It was like five yards, but I would just go through, go through it again. And I would just run and burn off all that stress. During that, during that trial, during that dark time, I thought this was going to be forever. I said, man, life's going to really stink if this is what it's all going to be. But during this time, I learned a lot. But there's two things that I learned that have completely transformed me. One being, I never felt more distanced from the Father. I never felt more away. But the second one being, I never felt closer 
to the Father. So when I got into the valley, I felt so alone. I said, I'm alone. No one's ever done this before. I'm here by myself. Started going down. But as we know, valleys turn into mountains. And so climbing that mountain, I never felt closer to God. He put me in that fire. He put me in that trial. He allowed me to get warmed up a little bit. But right before I would have got burnt, he pulled me out. He used, that, he used that time to transform me. And I can only thank my parents and my sister and some friends and then my, my counselor, Nolan, because they saved my life. And so in that same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that gets you and me through our suffering. And so if you're, if you're looking through the verses, momentary afflictions is something we got to look at. And so these momentary afflictions is preparing you and me for the glory that is to come. And so in verse 8, it says, the word here, it says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Key word is crushed. We're just afflicted by it. We're just cut up. We're just bruised. We're just run over a little bit, but we're not crushed. This means that this won't win. This won't beat us. This won't be God. This thing is not going to crush us. Notice how Paul didn't write that we're going to be crushed. He said afflicted. He's showing us you're going to have hard times here. But it, but it won't be the end of it. It won't be the end. So all the struggles during on this crazy year with COVID, with schools being online, with working from home, uh, with losing a job or getting a job or losing a loved one, sports being canceled, vacation being ruined, life just gets tossed up in the air. And so the world around us is going to change. That's a fact. I think I've said that's a fact like five times a day, but that's a fact. And so if you want to see just how much the world's going to change, just look at iPhones. iPhone 12 came out, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. 13's coming out in July, I think. So everything's going to change. The world around us changed, but let me tell you, there's one who doesn't change. There's one that's constant. There's one that does, there's one that calms a storm. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of of the Almighty God. And so God takes our struggles, He takes the hard times, and He uses it to fulfill His purposes. And so there's a good example of this in Genesis. So in Genesis um, 37, we see Joseph is, slow, is slowed, sold into slavery. His brothers hate him so much, and they just sell him into slavery. And then he rises up in the ranks of Egypt. Genesis 42, a famine's come across the land and Joseph has been appointed to a position where he's basically kind of running the, running the food pantry, passing out grain for Egypt. And his brothers come in and don't even notice him. And they don't even notice him until Joseph stands up and says, is my father alive? And they realize who this was. They thought Joseph was dead. They sold him into slavery. They said, we're never going to see this guy again. A couple couple days down the road, a couple days, a couple years down the road, they go to get grain, and who are they getting it from? Joseph. And then in Genesis 45, verse 8, Joseph says that it wasn't his brothers that put him into Egypt. Scripture says that Joseph said it was God who brought him into Egypt. 
God used the hatred that was in the brother's heart to put Joseph into slavery, let him rise up the ranks, put him in position in Egypt to be able to save his family when the famine come. God uses our struggles to fulfill his purposes. And so you may, you may think like suffering, why is that even a thing? It's just meaningless, right? I think if we think that things are meaningless, we have, a, we have a, such a small picture, small picture of God. When I, when I was getting ready for this, this sentence just kept rattling in my mind. Um, last week, one of my friends, um, he's 20, he was 21 years old, just got home for Christmas break, was finishing up at Western, and he was at his fam- family's house and went to bed, and he died in his sleep. No health concerns, and he's just, his, his family just found him. And I remember when I got the news, I'm just sitting on my couch, and I'm like, why? What good does that do for a young man that was a believer of God, who was, who was a light to everyone around him, who was just a joy? Why? why? That's meaningless. And then I realized nothing that God does is, is meaningless, and that's not going to make any of this better. That's not going to make his parents feel better that their son is gone. Our suffering and trials are not meaningless. It may be days, it may take months, it may take weeks, it may take years to realize what God is doing. But when we realize his plans for us, it's all going to be worth it. He's preparing a way for us. And so I, I believe some people outside the church or outside the Christian faith look at the body of Christ or look at the church and think that we're all perfect. Or we're living our best lives now. That was a joke. That was a joke. Joel Steen writes a book called Living Our Best Lives Now. Didn't land. Good. Uh, but they're wrong. We're not perfect. Sorry to bust your bubble. You're not perfect. The church is filled with sinful people. The church is filled with broken people. This is where broken people come to be rebuilt. Some may think that your Christian life is a good life. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's really not fun. But in those not so much fun parts, we have to rely on Jesus. And Jesus, he puts us through those trials and then he'll bring us out of them. Then he'll, he'll just grab a hold of a heart. In those trials, when we think we're lost, he'll grab our heart and just, just look at us and say, look at the cross. Look at how much you are loved. He brings us out of those trials to show just how powerful and how much love he has for us. So suffering isn't fun. It's not easy. It's not enjoyable. Nobody likes it. But there's a man who went through suffering for you and me. He suffered more than anyone that's ever walked this earth. Some people may look at the cross and think about Jesus. That's good. Think about Jesus when you look at the cross. Or look at it as like this religious symbol. But when we look at the cross, we have to realize what we're looking at. It's a torture device. It's a device meant for crucifixion. That symbol is pain. That symbol is suffering. That symbol is death. So during, during that time, when I look at the cross, during that time, anytime Jesus was being beaten, 
carrying the cross or even put up on the cross. He could have said, you know what? I'm not doing this. Snapped his fingers, brought himself off the cross, and then he was gone. He could have done all that. He could have just snapped his fingers and nothing that the Romans did would matter. Yet he hung there. Yet when he hung there, he, he forgave the sins of the thief on the cross. In the, midst of the, in the midst of his own suffering, he's still looking out for the thief. Not even to mention the people on the ground. They're pointing at him, laughing at him. And he's hanging there on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Even facing the most horrific death in history, Jesus is thinking about his creation. Christ, he, in the, we know, and before the crucifixion, he went to the garden and prayed to the Father. Said, if there's any other way, that'd be great. He was praying so hard, he was sweating blood. That's when we know, that's just another example to know that Jesus is fully man. He was sweating blood because he knew how much this was going to hurt. That's true suffering. That's true suffering. We don't know what suffering is. Even, even my little story of depression and, and just wanting to die, that's not comparison to the cross. The cross is true suffering. Yet Jesus was willing to suffer for us. That's just, that blows me away anytime I think about it. Is that he knew what he was getting himself into. He knew how bad it was going to hurt. Yet he did it willingly. While hanging there on the cross, he was just thinking about the people that were killing him. He forgave him. Jesus knew that this was the only way that our relationship could be restored with the Father. Sin's got to be paid, and he paid it with his blood. Thankfully, this week we're starting a new year. 2020 is gone, right? We can leave stuff in the past. Some stuff's going to come with us, uh, COVID. Um, it's going to be around for a while. Some stuff's going to come with us. But this is a clean slate. This is a time that you can be the person that God has always wanted you to be. This is a time you can leave bad habits in, the, in, the, in this past year. This is a time to create good, new, healthy habits. There's a million different good things that can happen. But with that, there's a, a million different things of bad things that can happen. So just thinking about, hey, I, re I really don't like New Year resolutions because 90% of them are gone by, I don't know, January 15th. But I think it's a good idea. It's a good concept, but I think we've got to follow through. Like, I'm just as bad at resolutions than everybody else. And so I found, I found a list of like the top 10 resolutions that people usually have. Number, number one and two are pretty, not going to be a surprise. It's exercise more and lose weight. Everybody's going to get fit in 21, right? Not going to happen. Uh, so we got exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn a new skill. That'd be good. Uh, live life to the fullest, save more money or spend less, quit smoking, spend more time with friends and family, travel more and read more. I think those are good. But like I said, most of those are going to be gone by February. I came up with six uh, resolutions that I think that are all doable for us. Pray more. 
Read more scripture. Sing more praises. Have, have worship in your car. I'm a terrible singer, so that's the time I can just belt it out and no one's going to hear me. And it's awesome. And number four, as I put this on here strictly for me, is love people better. Love people better. Number five, share the gospel more. We have the greatest story on earth. Yet we just hold it to ourselves a lot. It's like, say you have like a Ferrari in your garage. It's your little treasure and you keep it there nice and clean and it never gets to meet the road. What's the point of having it? There's no point. Go get a bicycle if you're not going to drive it. We have a Ferrari sitting in the garage in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go out, show it off. Tell people about him. And number six, live our lives for Christ. This here is a chance to be the real you. This chance is to be the person that God's always made you to be. A chance to get rid of all the baggage that you have. A chance to be the person that God has made you to be. And so we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised this afternoon. We're not promised tonight. You know, I'm, ter- I'm terrible at uh, procrastination. Or I'll get to it in a few minutes. So I'll do those dishes tomorrow. Which I got dishes in the sink right now. Um, I'll do the laundry later. I'll do that later. Later, later, later. Never now. And so... Uh, I really love the Rocky movies. I love them. They're so good. And so in Rocky 3, this is where, uh, uh, these are after Apollo and Rocky's fight. So in, pa- in Rocky 3, uh, Mr. T shows up. His name's Clubber Lang. I think that's the coolest name ever. So Clubber Lang's there, and him and Rocky fight, and Clubber just beats him up. Rocky shouldn't even have been in the ring. But Rocky wants a rematch, and who's, who's going to train him? Apollo Creed comes out and says, Rock, I'll train you. So they're training, and and Apollo, he's this tall, long, fast guy, quick. Rocky's this fire hydrant of a man who just walks into these punches because he has like a a chin of of metal, and he's just a bulldozer. So, So Apollo is trying to make Rocky a little bit more like Apollo. And so they're training, they're sparring one day, they're in the ring, they're, they're punching back and forth, and Rocky's just standing there eating all these punches. And Apollo's like, what's the matter with you? And he just keeps wailing on him, wailing on him. And he finally stops. He says, what's the matter with you? And Rocky's just walking away. He says, you know, we'll we'll get some more tomorrow. We'll train a little bit more tomorrow. And then Apollo says, (laughs) the coolest line in the whole movie, he just looks at him and says, there is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. That's the same with you and me. There's no tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. We're promised today because we woke up. We're promised today. If we want to change our lives for the betterment, we have to start living for Christ right now. We have to start sharing the gospel right now. We have to start proclaiming the good news in Glasgow, in Barron County, in Kentucky, in the country right now. The whole idea of I'll get, it, I'll get it done tomorrow is something that I think we have to get rid of. 2021, we're doing it now. I think we need to go into 2021 with a full head of steam. We've had, we've had this year where it's just been kind of lackadaisical, just kind of, get, kind of get through it. We had five months there that felt like six years. And the good and the bad, Christ is constant. And the good and the bad, Christ is always there. 
If you're here today and you, you say, I've gone through some suffering. I may be suffering right now. I know someone who's suffering. I know a guy who can take that suffering away. His name's Jesus Cross. Jesus Christ, and he hung up on a cross just like that. He died for you and me and took away our sins. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this day.